Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Howard Martin, who's the Executive Vice President for Strategic Development at HeartMath LLC. He is the key spokesperson for HeartMath Worldwide and the co-author of a groundbreaking book that you all should pick up and read called The HeartMath Solution. He's conducted training programs and keynote presentations in Fortune 100 companies, government agencies, the U.S. military, school systems, and through publicly promoted events in over 50 cities and four continents. He also created the HeartMath Method audio learning program and produced two award-winning musical recordings before HeartMath. He was a successful musician, account executive with E.F. Hutton, and vice president of capital funding. The reason he's been invited here today is because of the groundbreaking and profound influence that our heart has on the entire body and in our lives. The heart is intelligent. It's not just this mushy, emotional feeling thing. On page 201 of their book, it is said that people often believe they can think or emote a change of attitude, but changes in the feeling world require heart coherence. I want to talk today about heart coherence, and I can't think of anybody better to do it than Howard Martin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Howard Martin to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Well, thank you so much for having me. really appreciate you, uh, the opportunity to be on your show and have a chance to share what's most meaningful to me and my life's work with as many people as possible. I think the work that you've all been doing at the Institute is so profound because neuroscience is now teaching us and has been showing us for many years that the heart is way more involved in emotionality and way more involved in a lot of our decisions, even business decisions, than we're willing to admit. I want you to talk about that, and I want you to share one of the key concepts which has to do with heart coherence to our audiences. So we have a frame of reference to receive you in the groundbreaking work at your institute. Sure. Well, let me say right off the bat that... um you know, heart is not in competition with brain. You know, it's in, we're all an integrated system with all kinds of intelligences operating in our physiology, in our body. Uh, it's easy for us to assume that the brain is the source of all of our intelligence. It's where we feel things. It's where we see things. It's where we hear things. Um, but I think new science is showing that intelligence is more than that. It isn't just in you know, a compartmentalization of information um, and a lot of the things that go on very naturally in our brain. At HeartMath, for years, we focused on trying to understand the dynamics between the heart, the brain, and the rest of the body at a physiological level. But we took it further, of course, into you know the emotional heart and the spiritual heart and a lot of things. But when we started HeartMath, we had had our own experiences along the way about life and about how we navigated life. And we knew that heart and the qualities of heart had a lot to do with what it took to be you know fulfilled and successful. And we wanted to introduce that system now. We, we started over 20 years ago. We wanted to introduce a system of, of techniques, methods, and ultimately technology that could help people you know, really operate more from their own hearts. But we also knew that if we tried to introduce another heart approach and system into the world and did it the same way it had been done before, that it would be, you know, uh, we get approximately the same result. So we did engage in one of the things that, that people respect in our modern society, and that is science. The science that we've done was not in any way designed to take the heart out of heart. It was designed to give it an empirical or grounded understanding that could give people the greater ability to believe in the heart. So what we found was, to your point and to your, your, to directly to your question, is that at the physiological level, the heart was doing a lot more than pumping blood. It was sending information to the brain and to the rest of the body. 
And the information coming from heart to brain, for example, is very important. Brain function is critically dependent upon this information, these signals that are coming from our hearts. We do it in four ways. There's a neurological communication. It starts with a very complex nervous system found right in the heart, studied through a field called neurocardiology, sending information to the brain. We have blood pressure wave changes that are affecting electrical activity in our brains. Uh, a surprising finding was that researchers had already shown and had reclassified the heart as part of our hormonal system because it produced you know, a number of hormones. So there was a chemical communication or biochemical communication taking place between the heart and the brain and the body. Lastly, where it got most interesting to me is that we began to look at the heart through the eyes of it being an electrical organ. The heart produces by far the strongest source of bioelectricity in our bodies. It's 40 to 60 times stronger than the electricity produced by the brain, for example. It creates an electromagnetic field that extends beyond our skin out into space. It can be detected about three to four feet outside of the body. That field changes depending upon what emotions we are feeling. So lots of amazing new discoveries uh, we were able to see about the physical heart. This information, by the way, was out there in bits and pieces all over the place. Uh, but no one had really put it all together and told the story and put it into a, a way of, uh, I think, someone like me who's not an, a trained scientist, but someone like me could understand it and then it could be shared with others. When all of this communication is working in synchronization and harmoniously, we do enter a state, and you referred to this term a minute ago, called coherence. Coherence is a highly ordered state, both physical and psychological. Actually, the name of it scientifically is psychophysiological coherence. At the physical level, it's when all the body systems are synchronized and working in harmony. And what they're synchronizing to is changes in the heart rhythms. They're synchronizing to the heart itself. Things like digestion, respiration, immune system response, hormonal balance, all those major systems are triggering off of the heart. And so as the heart goes, the rest of the systems go. So in the coherent state... All the body systems are working again in synchronization and harmony. Psychologically is a state where we are experiencing sustained positive emotions. And what I mean by that are there are the emotions that have often been associated with the word heart, like care or appreciation or compassion or love. Those kind of emotions are pr- present in the coherent state. They also trigger the coherent state. And so... What you have happening is you have a, a state that's very alive, very aware. It's not just a sleepy time state. It gets arrived at by people through a lot of different methods. I mean, prayer, meditation, walk on the beach, uh, drive off in the car uh, when you're feeling your best and you're operating in the zone. All those would be, co- would be things that could bring us into coherence. And in that coherent state, we just do better at everything we do. We have more intuitive discernment. We're able to see into ourselves, see into others, see into situations more clearly. It's an energized state. It's calm and it's balanced, but it's also got an energy to it. So again, it's a very functional state. It's a state that is very engaged with with life, with, uh, with, with what's going on in our surroundings, and what's going on inside of us. And so all this happens because we learn to respect and tag into and then listen to the heart. And it's been said for thousands of years, I think what we've done well here at HeartMath is we've brought it into a modern context, and then we've created tools, techniques, and technology to give people a chance to develop their hearts more uh, from these different dimensions of understanding heart.
The book is so profound. Really, everybody should get this book. It says the heart doesn't need a hardwired connection to the brain to keep beating. It has its own independent nervous system, almost like the heart can think for itself. It's truly intelligent. How is this so that it doesn't need the brain to keep beating? Well, it has its own self-starting engine in it. It's a, the heart actually triggers off of these pacemaker cells that are you know firing within the heart itself. Um, when I was in school, you know, I had the impression, at least, that the brain was making the heart beat, but that's not true. The signals coming from brain down to heart are simply controlling or influencing the timing of the heartbeat. But the heart is what's called an autorhythmic organ. I mean, the source of the heartbeat is really in the heart itself. It's in, within the pacemaker cells that exist within the heart. And so I found that pretty interesting, too. Uh, really, it was amazing to think about it because here we have this this organ in our body that beats, you know, on its own, really. And it actually starts beating before we have a brain, before the brain's even been formed in the body, just a brain stem there. Um, and the heart is like beating inside of us. Again, in a fully functional person, it's connected to all the nervous systems and things. But when those nerves are disconnected, like in a heart transplant, the heart actually continues to beat. And uh, that surprised me as well. That was a sort of an astounding fact. It didn't really prove anything to me, but it was certainly an eye-opener to go, aha, well, I have a unique part of my physiology unlike anything else in my body, and it's called heart. I thought that was pretty extraordinary, just to even know as part of a frame of reference. You also said that heart intelligence is not developed in most people as the mind hijacks the emotions and uses it to express perceptions and reactions. Talk about that a little bit. Well, that seems to be what happens, doesn't it? You know, we, Yeah. You know, um, I guess one way to put it to you, Kim, would be that, you know, the the type of information coming from heart can often be a little quieter in a sense. You know, it has a hard time competing with the roar and ambition of survival that happens, you know, in our brains a lot of times. When we're just, you know, up in, up in the brain, we're compartmentalizing, we're calculating, we're assessing, we're angling, we're doing all these different things, and there's a lot of processing going on there. And again, as I said in the beginning of the show, there's not a competition going on here. I mean, obviously we need brains. Uh, what we're dealing with is an important input into the brain that can actually change how the brain begins to, to work and how it functions so that we do see life differently. But without connection to the heart and to the qualities and values of the heart, it often is a process of just our emotions sort of being hijacked by our perceptions. And then we're up and down and all around like a roller coaster. You know, every little thing is triggering us. We're having reactions. We open up the emails. We see the person's name. We react before we even open the email. You know, all this stuff is going on constantly within us. And it requires a little slowing down, you know, to begin to quiet the mind and to quiet the emotions a little bit for us to, to access this information from heart, which to me is, is, is high speed, it's intuitive, it's also very practical in many cases. It's really the kind of information that we need that's sort of looking out for us and for the whole. One analogy I have used about this would be like AM and FM radio. We think of brain-mind uh, as AM. It's providing lots of information, very important information. Just like for me, I like to listen to AM radio when I want the sports, the weather, the traffic, those kind of things, and the news. Um, but then heart could be looked at as FM. It's a different kind of information. And for me, on radio, FM would be when I'm going to listen to NPR or I want to listen to some really uh, some interesting music. Uh, and so there's just different times for different things. But when we bring those two sort of intelligence centers within us together, we come out with a comprehensive understanding of things, a comprehensive intelligence. It has a lot to do with how we manage our emotions, 
how we play the game of life, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others. All of that happens when we begin to integrate you know, the basic intelligences we have in a new way. And what I believe and what I've learned is that the heart is the master integrator. It is the center of who we are. It's an information processing center in our body, and it's been talked about for thousands of years in ways that imply that. All we've done at HeartMath is add some science to it. You know how the dragon guards the gate? <laughs> I've seen those, yeah. It is said that the dragon, can guard, that the dragon can guard the gate. Do you think that the heart is the electrical intelligence that is looking out for the well-being of the person? I haven't thought about it, Kim, in those terms, but I could say, yeah, I would believe that. I, I believe that you know, it's one good way of characterizing it. Um, when we're in touch with the qualities and values of the heart, which really are where, to me, our authentic self comes from, we're going to be making decisions that are going to be better for us overall uh, in the long run. What's tricky about it is we don't always get immediate satisfaction from the decisions we have to make from heart. It often goes against what you know we think we want. It goes against our ambition, for example. And when we have to make those heart-based decisions, they can be tough in a way. But over time, they prove out to really uh, have been the best things we could possibly do. I will tell you a brief story that relates to that. Um, in my early years, as a young man, from the time I was nine years old till I was in my early 30s, I was a musician. I was a rock musician. And I had some success with it. And it was fun. It was exciting. It had a lot of advantages. And, and who would want to leave that? But I kept having feelings inside myself that I needed to do something different with my life. And that I needed to, you know, I also had spiritual interests back then. And then I needed to pursue that, you know, more sincerely. And I needed to take some of the distractions out that were being created by being in this wildlife of the music business. Ultimately, I had to make that decision, and I did. And it was a very hard, tough decision. And it was all I knew. My identities were tied up in it, but yet I had to walk away from it. And when I did, I walked away to friends. I walked away to my friend Doc Childry, for example, that founded HeartMath. But I also walked into a life that had less stimulation. I had to have ordinary jobs. I had less of the things that were overtly fun for me in my life. And it was more of a, a time in my life for for spiritual discipline and a reflection and you know, not having so much uh, drive for what I was going to be, but just trying to uh, make a living as best I could and pursue the things inside myself that I thought I needed to pursue and being a better, better man. So that was hard, and it was eight years of that. And so it wasn't an immediate response or immediate gratification from having given up the music world. Boy, do I understand that position. <laughs> Today I look at it, you know, I look at, wow, that would have been a, such a trap for me to be only in that world. Look what I have today. And look at the things I get to do today and being a part of heart math and having a wonderful life with a wonderful wife and being, you know, uh, having a chance to do things like be on your radio show, for example, or to write or to speak or to contribute in ways that my work is aligned directly with what I feel is my mission. Those are all great gifts, and I would not have been able to receive those gifts if I hadn't been able to overcome my attachments to another world. Totally understand. I was a tournament tennis player for 13 years, and I turned pro, and I went on the circuit, and I hated it. I was very unhappy. It was very lonely. There was no emotional, spiritual, or mental stimulation for me. It was all physical grueling. I mean, the mental stuff happened on the court, but it was missing so many things, and my heart wanted out, and it was very unpopular for me to quit. So I know what it's like to walk away from something that you're extremely good at because your heart is directing you 
that's quiet, but it's there. That information is always there. It's just how do we listen to it? Well, I'm glad you can relate to the story, and it is a parallel to my story in a way, and I hope that the people that are listening today can also identify with that in some ways. I guess the punchline of the story for me, and hopefully for you, Kim, is that you know even those those decisions that we really know we need to make that come from this part of ourself that is called often heart, uh, that in the end they work out best for us. And that was sort of the question that you asked me earlier. And yeah, it doesn't provide necessarily immediate gratification, but the heart is a gatekeeper in a sense, looking out for our well-being, giving us the guidance and direction we need to really un- unfold our fulfillment. Uh, but most people have a hard time with that because of a lot of identities with things, and it's understandable. I have a lot of understanding and compassion for that and what people people go through, and we're just not trained to, to live that way. That's part of why I think also the work you're doing at the Heart Institute is so important because you're teaching people how to access this heart intelligence which is intuitive, and get them into direct knowing. Now, a lot of people may say, well, look, what about meditation? Why wouldn't meditation be enough? And I'd like you to speak to that. Well, meditation can be. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I'm for anything that people are using that works for them is taking them deeper within. So there are many kinds of meditation that certainly help, and, and there's heart meditations and lots of things that people do that engender that. I think that one of the things about heart math, one of the contributions we've tried to make, not in competition with any other the other belief systems, is let's bring it into day-to-day living. Let's make it very practical. So the techniques that we have, the M-Wave technology, the coherence-building technology we developed, are all designed really to get us to a place where we can sort of ground all this out and be in using these kind of things and using, for example, our heart guidance right in the midst of daily activity, right in the moment when we need it the most. And all this sort of uh, approach to it has been what we've done. Uh, we said, look, you know, we, we'll have our times and some of our techniques are, are quiet time techniques where you're withdrawn from things and you're, you're in inner reflection. A lot of our techniques are in the moment techniques, things that you do right in the midst of the day to day. And I think that's one of the things that we've, we all need now is we, we need to have this spiritual nourishment that things like meditation and other things provide, but we also need to be able to take that right into the, the workplace, right into our relationships, right into the things where life actually is happening for us most of the time. You're doing phenomenal work also with children. I would imagine that the work that the Institute's doing could be integrated into all schools for young people, too. Well, I think there's something like 600 schools or something like that around the country that use heart math in one form or another. I mean, the number may be higher than that. And certainly on their nonprofit side with the Institute of Heart Math, and I urge anybody who's listening to go to the, the heartmath.org site. Uh, that's where the Institute uh, site is located. We're both nonprofit and for-profit. You can become a member of the Institute, and I don't even think they charge for that. They just, uh, uh, get their newsletters and things and learn about the work that they're doing in science and in education. But in the education front, there are a lot of schools, universities, lots of ways heart math being uh, used in those schools. What we have found, however, is that we're still in a time period when things haven't totally moved in new directions yet. There's a lot of uh, sort of a tension between old and new. There are, are teachers and administrators, for example, in educational systems that totally get it, you know, of education needing to change. It needs to focus on preparing young people for life. It isn't just about reading, writing, and arithmetic, all those kind of things. Yet the systems themselves are set up not to change easy. They're very ingrained and very rigid systems in many ways. Don't you think they're very mental, too? 
Well, sure they are. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think you know, in the future, I would say in the future schools are going to be teaching children a lot about their emotions and how to regulate those emotions and how to utilize their emotional you know, capacities. And that's part of what heart math educational materials do, is certainly educate uh, children on how, to, how to, to regulate emotion to you know, be better players in the game of life. And I think that's coming. But right now it's a slower process than, than we would like or that many people would like. But it's not because the people in the systems are, are messed up or wrong. They're just dealing with systems. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful, amazing teachers uh, doing amazing things in, in the schools today. But the systems themselves are moving slowly at making the changes. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So I have understanding. But I think we'll see changes in education, big changes, over the next uh, 20 years that are going to be um, surprisingly and pleasantly shocking to all of us. I'd like you to share a little bit about the distinction that's made on page 19 between feelings versus emotions. Emotion is and feeling, those are big words that, um, well, small words in some ways that get utilized and, and intermixed, and I do it a lot too. I think people sort of get it and understand very naturally what, you know, when we, if you talk about feelings or emotions, but in academia and things, they like to divide that up some um, to give it a different spin and give it a different understanding of things. And um, to be honest with you, I wrote Heart Mass Solution. It was published in 1999, and I haven't read my own book in quite a while, so I don't remember exactly well, what I said uh, about it. can I read it to you? I think it's very important. Sure. It's just, it says, emotions act as amplifiers of our thoughts, perceptions, and attitudes. We can have a great sound system with state-of-the-art CD player and excellent speakers, but if the amplifier, the power source for our sound system, isn't working correctly, the sounds produced by the system are severely distorted. Likewise, when our emotions, the amplifiers of our perceptions, are out of balance, our view of life is distorted. And then you talk about activating core heart feelings, et cetera. Right. But, you know, you make this distinction. I wanted to mention that. Yeah, that's in the first chapter of the book. It's, uh, I think that's number six on the ten things that uh, the book's going to be about. Right. And also managing your emotions. Yeah, managing emotions to me is the next frontier in human evolution, and that's a statement I've made a lot in, on shows like yours and certainly from a lot of stages around the world. And the reason is is because I think we've developed a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know, we've developed mentally. Certainly we see that reflected in their technology and things like that. Physically, we're making a lot of changes. There's certainly a lot of emphasis on health today that wasn't there 20 years ago, uh, as an example. But emotionally, we're still having the same sort of emotional patterning processes that have gone on for thousands of years, and yet we're living in a very high-speed society with a huge amount of input. So that's not working too well. So we have a, a host of the emotional issues that people are facing today. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's at epidemic or pandemic levels. It's all around the world. And so I think that we have to learn how to better regulate emotion, and that does not mean suppress or repress emotions. It means that we have this amazing gift of the ability to feel like no other living thing on this planet, and yet emotions are the source of most of our problems. Um, so if we can learn to regulate emotion, learn to, to manage emotional reactions, learn to repattern our emotions so that we are experiencing more positive emotions in our life, um, then life gets better really quick. And that's where the heart intelligence comes in. Heart intelligence is a very high-speed intelligence. Uh, it works quicker than the emotions even. And it requires that to regulate emotions. When you try to regulate emotions just from thinking about things or just mind on mind, it's a slow process. Emotions work very quickly. They trigger very quickly. But when you have access to your heart intelligence more and that's refined and brought to the forefront, you have a greater ability to regulate those emotions. 
And when you do, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't feel sad or you don't feel angry or those kind of things, but you have a much better sense of what emotions work for you and what don't, and you choose emotions uh, in a way, uh, rather than them being just reactions. You begin to call the shots on what you want to feel, and you begin to generate and actually activate it and utilize some of these positive emotions that have always felt good to us as human beings and that certainly make life easier to live. So that is one of the most important things, I think, in this era that we live in now is to better utilize our emotional capacity, to bring it up to date in a way, to give it an upgrade, you know, to give it its 2.0 now because it's needed. We cannot operate in this world and be uh, fulfilled and happy if we're operating from old emotional programming that's gone back for thousands of years because things happen too quick now. The era of high-speed change is moving things on too quickly. I am going back to the book a lot because I know that there's been many books written by the HeartMath Institute founders and co-founders, but I wanted to also say something that I found very interesting. I put a wow by it. Only recently, and of course this is at the time the book was written, have neuroscientists discovered a brain circuit that lets our perceptions go directly through to the amygdala without passing through the rational decision-making area of the cortex. I want you to talk a little bit about that. That was a wow for then. It's still a wow for now. Yeah, we have a little part of our brain. It's in the mid-level brain, what's called the limbic system. It's called the amygdala. Many of the listeners have probably heard of it. It's a little almond-shaped part in the brain. And what it is, what it does is it stores sort of emotional memory responses to things. It's a, a pattern, a pattern matching the, uh, part of the brain. And it's there for survival reasons. You know, if you see something, you recognize it as a threat, then you can respond to that, et cetera. And it's got, you know, emotional memory patterns stored in it. Unfortunately, it doesn't always match accurately. And it does it, you know, in the high speed of society makes it even more difficult for the amygdala to provide proper matches. For instance, we might be walking down the street, we see some, we don't see someone, we don't even know them. For some reason, we begin to feel a dislike for this person. And we don't even realize it because we're not on top of being able to perceive ourselves that acutely, but what's happening is, is we don't like them because there's a memory stored in there somewhere of somebody who, who did something to us many years ago that was unpleasant. And there's a similarity of physical appearance, and so we have this emotional reaction to this person. We don't even know who they are. You know, That's an example. So it used to be thought that we would perceive something, that we would then put it through a cognitive neural circuit, we, and then we would send it down to the amygdala, where it would assign emotional significance, and then we'd experience the perception, right? What they found was is that, no, in most cases, in many cases, if not most cases, there's a neural circuit that bypasses the whole cognitive loop. It comes right straight to the, the amygdala. The amygdala has an emotional memory response, and then we think about it. And if you, if you think about it at high speed, how things happen, often we feel something, and then we start to assess it. So emotions are working faster than thought in that context. So there is a circuit in there, and, it, you know, and sometimes we just go right straight to emotion rather than you know, to, uh, to rational thought, and that happens all the time to us. And so it's one of the things that, uh, you know, that's been discovered about brain function, and I found it interesting as well. Now, I realize you have a whole training for this. You have products for this, but I want you to share a little bit about freeze frame, the cut-through process, and heart lock-ins, just to give people a little bit of uh, imperatif. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the heart mass system is made up of methods and techniques and technology, uh, all designed to activate more heart intelligence and then apply it in, in different ways. So there's 
a variety of skill sets in our training programs, uh, things like our Heart Mastery Program, which is the personal growth program that people can take you know, from their own home, for example, um, through you know, pre-recorded courses and live discussion groups, right on down to the trainings that we do in, in, in Fortune 100 companies, uh, healthcare systems, schools, all those places. So there's a skill set that we provide for people um, in the heart mass system. You mentioned three techniques. They're all heart-focused techniques. Psychologically, they're, recla- they're classified as either emotional repatterning techniques or emotional response you know, uh, management techniques. And they are for different things. Freeze frame is a technique designed to help us make better decisions. You're activating the intelligence of the heart, and then you're asking some questions from that place to get um, you know, a different view of, of an issue. It could be something fun, or it could be a problem, but you want extra information from that. The cut-through technique is a technique that's more complex. It's the, probably the most complex of the heart math techniques. And what it is is a technique designed, it's a, it's a six-step process, really, that you go through, designed to help us work through some of the emotional issues we've had. Uh, so emotional repatterning process that we go through there to really you know, develop new understandings and sort of cut through on emotions so that they don't linger and they don't last forever. So it's, it's especially useful for some long-standing emotional issues that we sometimes have. Heart lock-in is a foundational technique. It's when you really just lock into the positive emotional states that, you know, that are there for us in the heart and you, and you hold on to them. It doesn't mean you're locking yourself into somewhere like jail, but you're just sort of locking in on these positive emotions. And you sustain that for anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, and for me sometimes much longer, 30 minutes is a good lock-in for me, for example. And what you're doing is you're you're running that coherence through your system. We talked about coherence at the beginning of the show. Yes. So you're running coherence through your system and sustaining it. And when you do, you begin to repattern everything from nervous system to brain. You begin to, to uh, over time, to begin to naturally have a new baseline of coherence, which means you're going to function in the world differently, and you're certainly going to see some things differently. So all that is happening you know, when you do uh, sustained coherence, and that's what the heart lock-in is for. So the three techniques you mentioned, for example, I'll just recap. Freeze frame is a decision-making tool. Cut-through is an emotional repatterning tool. Heart lock-in is sustaining coherence. And that's three of the tools that we have in in many of the heart math training programs. It seems like the whole focus and understanding of coherence has also to do with the well-being and integrative whole of companies, of families, of any cooperative groups, teams, everything. And that without really understanding coherence, we can't often achieve it. I mean, sometimes it happens without the consciousness, but I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're, the world is, when it's operating right, is a is a coherent system, right? You know, the way nature functions, for example, you know, when it when it works as a coherent system. So you can take the concept of, cons- of coherence from the individual biological, which we've been talking a lot about that, you know, in our show today. But you expand that beyond that into uh, how uh, interpersonal coherence looks. And that can be immediate. You mentioned families. You know, how we function in our families. How are our families functioning? You know, what's the balance? What's the synchronization within the family unit? Um, and then you expand that beyond that into larger groups of people, like a company, for example, an organization. An organization is, you know, a company is a group of people with a shared common vision, all working towards that for various reasons and motivation, whether it's salary or whether they're really on a mission about it or the combination thereof. How organized or how coherent is that system, which we call a company? You can expand it out from there. 
where we've gone now is looking at the entire you know planet and the planetary coherence. How does humanity function as a whole? How does humanity interrelate with and interact with the Earth itself? I mean, the Earth is a living system. It produces energy fields. How do we relate to those fields? How do those fields relate to us? This is the genesis of um, of the Global Coherence Initiative, which is one of our newer initiatives here at HeartMath. Uh, it's, a, it's a bringing together of large groups of people, increasing the coherence amongst the, that group of people, and then looking for... Um, you know, measurable changes that occur in the Earth's geomagnetic and ionospheric fields. So a lot's going on there. So you can expand coherence out and out and out. It starts right internally in our physical body between the heart and the brain. And that's where we started our conversation today. You know, But that's the, at the, the most singular level of what coherence is. It's you know the interactions between heart and brain and the quality of the communication between those two parts of our physiology. But it goes far, far beyond that all the way to, to global coherence and probably beyond. Uh, so the, the concept of coherence is a natural aspect, I think, of what the universe provides, really. How do you envision coherence happening between, let's say, the people of a country and their government when there's a lot of incoherence? <laughs> well, I guess the envision, I don't know. I mean, I'm not uh, so much of a visionary in that context. I do know that... Um, there's a way in which people, when they come in from the heart, begin to to naturally begin to want to find solutions to problems. Uh, it begins to break down some of the feelings of necessary separation that we have, and that's part of the problem is polarization separation. We see a lot of that right now in the era that we're in in, in our global history. But I think over time, there's a need that's perceived and, and able to be seen very clearly that needs to be some give and take on both sides of something for a viable solution to work out. If nothing else, Kim, some of the situations we may run into in our future are going to necessitate that we do it. We have choice. We can avoid some of that, uh, and we can make changes You know that that, uh, that that can keep us from having to go through the school of hard knocks to understand it. But when it finally comes down to it, the world's going to change whether we like it or not, and it's going to push us all to a point where we have to learn to cooperate more. We have to learn to break down some of the walls of separation. And it's already beginning to happen. We see isolated cases of it all the time. And uh, I remember back in 2008, for example, when um, the economic crisis was really hitting hard and people were losing their homes and things. And I kept seeing TV show after TV show about how people were learning to live together, work together. They were taking people into their homes. That, you know, Absolutely. They rent. You know, there were people moving around doing different things, and they were talking about, you know, what a good time it was and how much they were enjoying it, and they never thought they would, and on and on it went. So there was just a mini example of, like, there was a necessity. People needed somewhere to live, so they found a way to work it out, you know, and then they actually enjoyed it. Um, so that's going to happen more and more, whether it's a sharing of resources, where there's changes in, you know, how governmental structures relate to the general public. All that stuff is up in the air right now. Absolutely. And it's chaotic times, and I'll give it, you know, give it, I'll say it like it is. It is an era of, of high-speed change, and it's creating a lot of chaos. Ultimately, I'm an optimist. I think it's going to work out that we have a, a world that's functioning much better than the one we have today. And it's not going to be that long or that far down the road before we see a lot of that beginning to to take solid form. But we are in a position right now where it's still a lot of hard road to walk. So I'm a pragmatist on both sides of that of that perception. Um, and we've got to utilize our own intelligence and our own hearts to make sense of it all and to come up with the viable solutions that we need. 
I think the solutions to many of the world's problems are right in front of our face, but we've got to slow it down enough that we can see into them. That's extremely astute. Suppose you have people in a particular group that are seeking heart coherence and they're doing the exercises that you've created, but they seek and they desire heart coherence with others to integrate with others in this realm. But let's say the other people are not interested. It's not of interest. It's not on the radar. They don't care. Do you still think coherence is possible? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, what happens is, is over time, things one thing begins to influence another. If you think about you know, mass human behavior, look at the attitudes that have shifted just, you know, m- amazingly. You know, where large numbers of people thought one thing and then they thought something else, you know. Right. Um, you know, it didn't take long for that shift to occur. Uh, I can think of things like, you know, I'll never use an answering machine, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, back in the day, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I talk to these things. I'm not going to have anybody talk to me on, on some kind of recording or whatever. And yet, you know, everybody had them, you know. Uh, that's just one example. There's better ones than that. I can't think of one at the moment. But, but, but perception of certain things changes very quickly when mass human, human consciousness can move like that. And it does. And it has shown that it can. Um, and so... There are a lot of people that could care less about coherence. They they're looking out for themselves. They you know they they want to operate their life that way, and that's okay. The good news is is that coherence is ordered. It's it's actually focus power. So it's not as diffused. It takes a lot. It takes a little bit of coherence to offset a lot more incoherence. Oh, that's good. Because it's concentrated. I mean, an analogy I can use would be if you ever watch TV and they have these things, you'll see an advertisement about this amazing cleaning solution that'll clean anything, you know, everywhere. And all you have to do is put one cap of it in a gallon of water and then, you know, it'll scrub off everything, every piece of dirt you got in your house, you know. And that's an example that one little cap is concentrated. So coherence works the same way. A little bit of coherence can permeate a whole gallon of water. That's awesome. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. And so one of, one of the things we saw early on in there, we've done lots of different kinds of sort of science to support heart math, and one of the ways we did it was with psychometric, you know, uh, surveys, psychological surveys. That we did uh, we created one with the Naval Postgraduate School here in California, and we um, have used it for a long time to uh, to evaluate the effectiveness of our organizational training programs. We started seeing these amazing changes throughout the organization when only a relatively small percentage of the people had been trained. You know, it would be like in a hospital, for example, with 1,200 employees. We trained 400 of them, and changes began to occur throughout the hospital and everything from retention to patient satisfaction. And what we began to determine was is that those 400, just with the way they operated, were having some sort of an influence on the other 800. If there was a change in the overall culture, whether what people had been through heart math training or not, or whether they... You know, we're interested in things like that or not. Their behaviors began to change or conform some to a more coherent uh, environment that was being created by people who were practicing the heart math training. It's an example of the little cap of uh, solution having an effect on a larger, uh, larger amount of water. Do you think that emotional maturity precedes heart intelligence or heart intelligence precedes emotional maturity or do you think they're one and the same like the front and back of the hand? Good question. I haven't really thought about it in terms of which comes first. Um, or if they're the same thing, really. Well, I'm not sure they're quite the same thing either. I mean, most okay. maturity is an outgrowth for sure of heart intelligence. I will say that. All right. But I think you have to have some emotional maturity in the first place to, you know, to access your heart intelligence. You know, one of the things about it is that, you know, if you think about it, people, most people have a good heart in there somewhere. Right. 
And even if they're just totally rebellious, emotionally you know, mismanaged and all of that, if you find them in the right time and the right moment and the right thing triggers it, their hearts just come alive like, you know, like you just see it in them, you know. You'd be the meanest guy in town, you know, having all kinds of problems and all kinds of people, always arguing, always fighting, and he goes to the mall and this little baby looks up at him and he just melts, right? Right. So somehow or another, he doesn't have emotional management necessarily to the degree we're talking about it, but his heart can trigger anyway. The intelligence of his heart or the feelings of the heart can override some of that. So I think that emotional management done well is born from the intelligence of the heart. But once we get some emotional management, then it's easier to access the intelligence of the heart. It's easier to begin to see that this is a good thing to do. God, I wish emotional management was a course beginning in the youngest of children. You know, yeah, well, there are some resources on the heartmath.org site. Some of them are free for people that are listening that relate to that. You can get for kids, and some of them are very, very inexpensive. You know, there's a little book. Doc Shorty's first book was for teenagers. You know, the How To Guide of Teen Self Discovery was called. You know, uh, and there are a variety of resources there for children that people can get from going to the heartmath.org site. A lot of the training stuff, the M-Wave technology, the coherence building technology, a lot of that's on the heartmath.com site. Uh, information about Heart Mastery, the training program I talked about earlier, where uh, people all around the world are taking that now, going through a, a whole process where they can take courses for over a year learning heart math. So there's different ways we get it out to people, but the work we do with, with youth and with children and school systems, things like that, that comes through our nonprofit. I also loved reading about your work with police. I want you to talk a little bit about David MacArthur, the former attorney general whose wife was murdered, and how he dealt with the situation. I thought that was really profound. Yeah, it's a compelling story. I mean, on the, on with David's story, David is a, is a friend of mine, a man I've known now for close to 20 years, and a man I admire greatly. And he worked for HeartMath for a while. He basically, when, we, when I met him, he was a, a minister within the Unity Church uh, context. And he came away from the Unity Church of Ministerial Roles for a while, worked here at HeartMath for a few years, and now he's back. He's a minister at Unity Church again. What he did in regards to his forgiveness happened before HeartMath, but it speaks to the to me why I put it in the book because I was writing a chapter on forgiveness. And the story is real. It comes from somebody that I know, and it demonstrates the power of, a, of the heart to overcome almost anything and to have the ability to forgive in ways that, that you know that we often think we can't. In his case, he was married. He was the assistant attorney general of in uh, New Mexico. Uh, he took in a relative, a young man who was having some problems. They took him into his home to help him. Uh, short, long, you know, short story. As he came home from work one day and found his work, his wife had been murdered. Uh, then they found out that the mur- person that murdered him was the boy they'd taken into his home. David was a public figure. They took the boy to jail. There was an outcry, to, you know, about this whole thing, and they really wanted to see this, this boy get the death penalty and all that. And David, being a lawyer, decided differently. And the first thing that he did is he went and he forgave the boy. And, he, you know, he had the forgiveness with him about what had happened. And then he went to and did everything that he could so that the boy would not be tried as a, a criminal, uh, you know, tried and, and given a death sentence, that he was, was given uh, mental health treatment and put into a mental institute instead. And he did all that. And uh, this was the same person that had murdered his wife. I found that a compelling story. And it showed that the power of love, the power of the heart, can transcend the things that we we can consider almost unimaginable. But David has that kind of heart, and he able he was able to manifest that and, and make that happen 
thought it was a relevant story in the context of forgiveness. That's pretty profound. Yeah. It's almost like Mother Teresa level forgiveness because when a family member is taken, there's a primal thing that gets triggered. And even to be able to transcend that is pretty profound. Yeah, you bet. And, uh, and again, you know, a man that I know, you know, so I felt like it wasn't just me reporting on a story I read in a magazine somewhere. It was, uh, you know, a real story from a real person that's been a part of my life. And forgiveness was a tricky chapter to write because forgiveness is hard. It's one of the hardest things to do, and I said that in the chapter. And, right. Uh, I don't even talk about forgiveness much in the, in the public presentations I do when I speak around the world. It's a subject that I very rarely go into. Because it's so taboo. <laughs> well, people, you know, it's like it's hard to you know get to that forgiveness place. But you know, I talk about it a lot in the book, and um, I talk about you know degrees of forgiveness too. You know, if, you know, conditional forgiveness, for example, when we forgive to a certain degree, or we have the thoughts of like, well, I forgive him, damn if I ever want to see him again, you know, uh, which kind of which kind of says there's a partial forgiveness there, but not one that's complete and whole. So it takes a lot of work sometimes to get to forgiveness when we feel we've been wronged. Um, and I also make the point in the book about forgiveness that it's about giving people latitude, recognizing that people often are doing what they think's right or the best thing thing they can do. One of the things that Doc Chaudhry, you know, who co-authored a book with me, I remember a thing he added to it was fantastic when he said was, if you were in a seminar somewhere and they had you doing an exercise, writing a list of people or situations or whatever that you needed to forgive, just realize that somebody else that you know could be in a seminar someplace else and your name could be on their list. Absolutely. I sort of put it in context pretty clearly that we can give it and we can also uh, receive it. On page 19, you talked about appreciation, non-judgment, forgiveness, and care, which activate core feelings. Do you think that all these realms, appreciation, non-judgment, forgiveness, and care, help build more heart coherence or more maturity? What do you think? They're the foundational pieces of like the emotional aspect of heart intelligence. And where I remember a night when I was with, with Doc Childrey, our founder, and he was hanging out with us, talking myself and a few more. We were hanging, having a good time. But he was talking about love, and, and there was a table sitting there. And he looked at the table and said, let me explain this to you. He said, love is like the top of this table. He said, but love has got all kinds of different angles and different aspects to it. It's, it's a word that covers a lot of territory. He said, you can look at the things that make up love, like the legs on this table. And he said, like things like, like care, appreciation, forgiveness, non-judgment. They're all aspects of love when you start breaking love down. And so, you know, that they're aspects of heart intelligence. They're sort of, you know, we have this physical uh, intelligence we've talked about earlier in the program. We've also got an emotional heart, uh, which is where to me, we feel and where we source a lot of these emotions from, like the ones we've just mentioned. And they're the ones that seem to be the most rewarding, the ones that give us, uh, give us the most fulfillment. And so, yeah, there, there are aspects of it as we cultivate these things more. And in the Heart Mass Solution, I have a whole chapter on care, followed by a chapter on what we call overcare, which is when care crosses a line and becomes a, you know, basically a burdensome sense of responsibility. So there's a lot about those things in the Heart Mass Solution. As Doc and I broke down uh, these understandings of things like care and appreciation and hopefully gave them new understanding because they've been talked about a lot by a lot of other people for a long time. We tried to bring some um, some of the understandings that we've had to it, and a lot of that's Doc. I mean, he's amazing intelligence, and it certainly taught me an awful lot about all these things. 
I want you to share a little bit about how heart intelligence has increased the levels of hormones, like, for example, doubled the DHEA in somebody's body, and even how it transcended what they were taking in terms of supplemental DHEA, how it lowered cortisol, which you talked about. But I thought that was very interesting. DHEA is a hormone that's been called the anti-aging or vitality hormone. There's another hormone that relates to it. It's called cortisol. Cortisol is actually called the stress hormone. And the, the relationship between those two is that they're both produced by another hormone called pregnenolone. So think of pregnenolone as the mother hormone. She's and it's producing both cortisol and DHEA. So there's a relationship in cortisol-DHEA balance is one of the ways that people that, that look at health through hormones begin to determine some things about the physical health of a person. So we did a study looking at those two hormones and their relationship. We had 28 uh, participants, 14 men, 14 women. They were brought to HeartMath. They were tested first. The baselines were taking readings on their DHEA and their cortisol. Then they were trained for a day, and they were trained in HeartMath techniques, many of the ones that are found in our publications like HeartMath Solution. Right. They were doing heart lock-ins. They were doing, you know, the cut-through technique. What they didn't have back then was the M-Wave technology, you know, which is the coherence-building technology. That wasn't created yet, but they had the techniques. So they weren't allowed for one month to make any changes in lifestyle, diet, and those kind of things. At the end of one month, we brought them back. We took readings again on DHEA and cortisol. Both the pre-training and post-training samples were sent off to a lab in Seattle, you know, just where a lab analysis place in Seattle. And then after we sent the post uh, samples, the director of research at, at Institute of Heart Math, Dr. Roland McCready, received a call from the owner of the, the lab in Seattle who had a question. He said, you know, we've been analyzing these samples and we see a very significant shift in the DHEA cortisol readings. I'd like to know, you know, what these people are taking. And Roland said, they're not taking anything. This is all being done through the behavioral change process using heart-focused, heart heart-based techniques. The man was astounded. What we saw was is that within that group of people, there was actually a 23% decrease in cortisol accompanied by a 100% increase in DHEA. So the, the, the stress hormone went down very significantly, and the vitality or anti-aging hormone went up significantly, big time, significantly. And it was done without any pharmaceutical intervention. People were learning to better regulate their emotions. They were learning to generate and experience more positive heart-based emotions. As a result, there was a chemical or biochemical response in the body, one that promoted health, one that accelerated wellness, and it all came from a change of heart, change in everything. Wow, that's incredible. I really locked onto that like a GPS when I heard that because it really means that how we're feeling and how we're processing how the emotions are managed has a direct effect on hormones. It's not just this thing that goes on automatically. Exactly right. And uh, we've seen it too with immune system markers in the body as well where we did a study where we had people experience five minutes of anger. We saw a huge spike in this immune system marker called secretory IgA. After an hour, it had dropped 100% below baseline of where it started in this group. It climbed back up slowly, but six, five hours later, so another six hours out, it never reached baseline again. Same group came back a week later. We had them experience five minutes of care. Again, we saw a big spike. It turned, returned back to normal an hour later, but then slowly climbed for the next five hours. And that was five minutes of anger versus five minutes of care. 
And then we have to step back and ask ourselves, gosh, look at all the emotional processing we do and what are we doing to our bodies? That is profound. I think the anti-aging arena would be very interested in that information. To understand that sometimes goes counter to the supplemental impacting of the hormones, but I think it's very interesting. Is there new studies on that now? On hormones with us? Yes. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. There's a lot of research always going on at our nonprofit, the Institute of Heart Math, but um, and there are a lot of independent studies as well, people that are doing studies outside of our organization utilizing the M-Wave technology and our techniques and things in research protocols. So good chance there is, but I can't tell you anything for the show today uh, uh, about that. No problem. Why do you call it the M-Wave technology? It's a technology we developed from our research looking at changes in what's called our heart rhythms, which is how you measure coherence. And then a patented analytic process is applied to those heart rhythms to determine how coherent they are. So the technology is designed to teach us how to become more coherent. It's an educational tool that gives us feedback, showing us how uh, where our coherence levels are and giving us the ability to learn how to make changes in, our, in the way we think, the way we feel, to increase our coherence. What's it been like being a prime mover in your field in the area of research and discovery and development of products and training for people for so long when you've been really ahead of so many of us? What's it like? Yeah, what's it like when you're 20, 25 years ahead of your time? Well, <laughs> and you've true. had to wait for the consciousness and the awareness to catch up. It's been an amazing journey, I can say that. I mean, what's it like? It's like it's been a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of hours, a lot of, you know, a lot, lot's gone into this, not just myself, but the, all the people here who work at HeartMath. And it's been a, a labor of love. It's never been a job. It's been more of a of something that, that to me, has been meant to be a, a mission in my life is to develop myself as best I can first and continue that process always and then to see if I can make a contribution to uh, others and what they're going through in their lives. So even though we maybe we're ahead of our time, and I've, that's been said about me, actually, you know, by, by others, that, you know, as a guy who's ahead of his time. But... Uh, I always felt that there was a resonance with people regardless of time period. People were getting it, you know, as, as things move on. The mass acceptance uh, of heart math and the concepts we have has happened slowly. Uh, we have a huge footprint in the world now, bigger than our organization or our revenues, really. Um, everywhere I go and I do travel, I was just back a few days ago. I've been back three days now from China. I was one, I've been there many times before, but it was just there. We have an operation in China, for example. That's great. But we are all over the world, and I traveled a lot this year. I was in the Middle East, in Kuwait. I was in Europe twice, and, you know, speaking at, at, you know, large, to large numbers of people there. And just to see people around the world who know of our work and who followed heart math and who've been you know, studying us for years, and, you know, and, and to see the look on their face when they have a chance to actually, you know, see someone from heart math there and the respect that they have, you know, whether it was me or someone else, in this case, I got to experience it. I had that gift, but um, to see the respect they have for what we've done and to see it as global is a heartening experience. You know, in Germany, I spoke, and um, and there was a, you know a huge you know uh, outpouring of emotion and applause and all that at the end of my talk. And I remember I walked off the stage and I walked all the way down this hall back into my dressing room and I sat down in a chair in my dressing room and what I, and as I sat there, I could hear that the cheering had not stopped. Wow. And it brought tears to my eyes just to say, oh, my God, look at these people, how excited they are about what HeartMath's doing, about what I've shared. And minutes later, I'm sitting in my dressing room, and they're still cheering. You know, And I'm thinking, this is a global thing we have going on here. We're touching the hearts of people all around the world. 
So whatever I've done, whatever hard work there's been, I think the best is actually yet to come with us because timing is getting more uh, compressed. You know, for for what we've been saying and what we have to offer, right. we're just one of many many systems out there helping people. We always want to be looked at as a as a friendly facilitator, never as a competitor to anything else someone believes in or is trying to do to improve themselves. We're just doing our part, and we're trying to do it through a heart centric approach, which is the way we've learned ourselves, and we're just trying to share that in meaningful ways now. So I hope that people can benefit from it and continue to grow with, you know, to, to find their own hearts. And I hope that the listeners today have gotten something from our show and from the opportunity you've given me to talk a little bit about this and to introduce people to what we do. Howard Martin, I think I understand why Deepak Chopra, the book could save you years of therapy. It's been a great pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with, learning from, and listening to Howard Martin, the Executive Vice President for Strategic Development at HeartMath LLC. And please pick up The Heart Math Solution. It's a fabulous book, and you can also reach them by going to heartmath.com. And thank you so much, Howard. Kim, thank you very much. Thank you for having a show like this, and I want to wish everybody who's listening all the very best and take care.